All right, welcome back to Third String Podcast. It's been about two weeks since we last chatted. I'm sitting here with uh, still defending Super Bowl champion Zach Crippen and uh, and Ishan Nath on the other side as well. Fellas, how are you doing this weekend? Pete, I'm doing great. It's good to be back. Uh, it's been a while since we've done this podcast, so kind of excited to sit back here with you guys and do it. There's a lot that's happened. We did the emergency pod after the Eagles won, and I'm, I think I'm still not quite over the the Eagles Super Bowl win, so... It's a great feeling. I don't know. If, I don't know if I'll ever shake this fully, but the Eagles are Super Bowl champions. I just need to keep saying it over and over again. It still doesn't quite feel real. I don't know. Congrats! I'm just excited for you. Yeah, thanks, man. Uh, it's great. You know, first time, first time as an Eagles fan, I've ever had my team win the Super Bowl. So, uh, you know, it it, it was an embarrassment for Eagles fans, and now it's a source of joy. So, well, well, good. I'm uh, I'm glad that you're you're still enjoying it. Two weeks later, it's uh, it's been an interesting two weeks in sports. I figured. Since we're not quite in the baseball season, might be a good time to do a little kind of grab bag of sorts. Just talk about some of the big stuff going on. I know it's uh, it's Sunday night as we're recording, so we got the NBA All-Star Game on right now. We got the Olympics going. We've got about two weeks left in the uh, the college basketball season before the tournament starts. So we're three weeks from Selection Sunday. There's a lot going on, even though it kind of feels like the offseason for us. So I figured we'd, we'd get right into it if that works for you guys. Yeah, let's do it. Sounds great. Cool. Well, you guys want to start with uh, probably my favorite topic, which is college basketball. So as I mentioned, we're three weeks out from Selection Sunday. Uh, this this season has been been kind of crazy if we think about uh, really everything that's going on in terms of the hot teams, the teams who we thought would be great who are not hot. Uh, we still have some ongoing debate with this corruption scandal that the FBI investigated uh, way back in September with supposedly eight out of the 16 top teams right now being in trouble. But I wanted to start by hearing from you guys uh, what what are your what are your reactions now that we're seventy five percent of the way through the season on college basketball? What has surprised you? What are you excited about? What's what's going through your brains this year? I think what's really cool is just the number of teams in the top ten that nobody expected and that aren't usual year to year stalwarts in college basketball. So I actually just looked up the preseason top ten and the current top ten, and it's pretty amazing how different it is. So the preseason top 10, I'm just going to rattle these off real quick because this was fun to look at. Uh, it was Duke, Michigan State, Arizona, Kansas, Kentucky, Villanova, Wichita State, Florida, UNC, and USC. The current top 10, and I'm going to give you where their preseason ranks were too, are as follows. Virginia, who was unranked in the preseason AP poll. Michigan State, who was second. Villanova, who was sixth. Xavier, who was 17th. Cincinnati, another school that's not usually a top 10 basketball team, who's 12th. Purdue, who's 20th. Texas Tech, who was unranked. Ohio State, who was unranked. Gonzaga, who was ranked 18th. Auburn, who was unranked. And 11th is Clemson, who was unranked. So five teams of the top 11 right now were unranked in the preseason poll. Uh, And then just today, Ohio State, uh, Clemson, and... Another top 10 team, uh, I want to say Cincinnati, all lost. Purdue's yeah, currently lost losing. At home. Yeah, I actually saw ESPN Stats and Info tweeted out today that uh, we already have more home losses by top 10 teams than in any other season ever. And there's still a few le- weeks left in the regular season. So uh, just tons of chaos everywhere, new faces. You know, Kansas, Kentucky, UNC, Duke, and Arizona all outside the top 10 right now. So, uh, it's not a blue blood year in college basketball, and that's been a lot of fun. Yeah, so so with that, I, something I want to ask you three weeks out, I, I, I love the point you made about the, the top 10 and how it looks now versus what it looked like at the beginning of the year. Does this translate into true madness in March? Do you think that we're just going to see top to bottom 
upsets more than our standard 12-5, 11-6 upsets, and it's just going to be utter chaos? Or is the fact that all of these true blue bloods are kind of sitting in the middle mean that it's going to be easier for them to kind of run the table and have a standard Elite Eight Sweet 16 like we always see with the Blue Bloods dominating. I know a lot can change in three weeks, but but what are your guys' impressions right now about that? Well, if the Blue Bloods are like five seeds, does that count as chaos or not? Uh, I would say no going into the tournament. Uh, I mean, it's a little low, but no, I'm, I think I'm, I'm okay with them being five seeds as being kind of a standard year with a little, little flail. Zach, what are your thoughts? <clears throat> yeah, I'm not sure if I have a... a- uh, really informed or educated or thought out thought on this, but I, I yeah, I kind of I kind of see it though the way Pete does. I won't start getting excited until we see some craziness in the actual tournament. I mean, it's cool that we have these these teams that were formerly unranked here in the middle of February climbing the rankings, but until we have selection weekend and until we have some uh, some blue bloods really being upset in the tournament, I'm not going to think this is like especially interesting. Um, I mean, like some of the stories have been really cool. I was going to bring up the St. John's Red Storm, who started out their season 5-0 and playing basketball powerhouses like Central Connecticut. I'm being sarcastic, of course. And then they <laughs> and then they lost to Missouri. I mean, like they had a good they had a good first half of the season when everyone has a first good, good half of the season. And then they lost to Providence, lost to Seton Hall, lost to Creighton, lost to DePaul, lost to Georgetown, lost to Villanova, lost to Xavier. Lost to Georgetown, lost to Creighton, lost to Butler, lost to Xavier again. So went on a, a really big one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven loss streak, <laughs> and then uh, uh, upset Duke eighty-one seventy-seven, and then the next week upset at the time number one Villanova seventy-nine seventy-five at Villanova. So that was one of those home losses, Ishan, that that ESPN stats and information tweet was about. And uh, I just thought this was a, a cool storyline because they took down two top five ranked teams in uh in a row and nobody expected that so the st john st john's restaurant have been the most interesting storyline of the season so far for me apart from this uh yahoo uh report that came out a few days ago about the hoops corruption and we could talk about that shortly but that's my brief thought on the surprises of the season so what are your guys's thoughts uh i i like you bringing up st john's that was one of the ones i want to bring up zach the other one i want to bring up that i we've we've talked about on this show uh, is Oklahoma and Trey Young. Yeah. So uh, as of mid-February here, we're recording here on the uh, the 18th of February, uh, Oklahoma hasn't actually won in the month of February. Right. Uh, if you look at where they sit, so they're 19-11 right now. Um, I'm sorry, they are not 19-11. They are 16-10 right now. Um, they have an RPI of 24, strength of schedule 20, so pretty aggressive schedule, but haven't won in the month of February. Trey Young seems to be not necessarily in a free fall, but he looks exhausted to me, if nothing else. Uh, yesterday, it took him 26 shots to score. I'm sorry, 21 shots to score 26 points. Yeah, I saw that. It, it just looks like he's trying to put that team on his back, and it's not working right now. So is, is Trey Young just burning out, or is there something something that we, we weren't seeing two weeks ago when we were talking about him being such a high NBA lottery pick? No, I mean, I think uh, there's a couple things here. One is is players always go in streaks. So you'll find even at the highest levels of competition, guys who go on hot streaks and cold streaks. And the second thing is Trey Young even chalked it up to this when he was interviewed post-game after that, you know, 26 points on uh, 21 shots performance. He said that he's being guarded like nobody else. And I think there's some truth to that. I mean, you'll see, you'll see teams going after Trey Young because he's the one who's dominating the narrative right now. And he's the one who's really dangerous and can, can, 
can injure teams in a big way. So I think I think we'll see. I, I don't think we're wrong about Trey Young's upside. I think he has a lot of growth and maturing to do as a player, and, but I think he'll figure it out. I, I do think he's a special player. Um, maybe not quite a generational talent, but I think he has a very, very high ceiling and he'll still go in a high draft position. What do you think, Ishan? Yeah, I'm not worried about Trey's NBA future. I think he might have uh, reduced his chances of being a top three pick. I think he'll still be a top seven pick. I think if I were an NBA GM, he would still be in my top three. Uh, I mean, I think basically, so I continue to DVR and watch all of Trey's games because I still love watching him uh, losing streak and all. Uh, I think he's missing shots that he missed earlier in the season and defenses are being a little bit more uh, disciplined about focusing in entirely on him in ways that they don't usually do with one guy on the team, right. uh, making the other four guys on the court beat them. And, uh, you know, it's not just his shooting slump. The other Oklahoma players have also sort of sort of been a team-wide shooting slump. And they're honestly just like they're missing shots that they were getting earlier in the season and hitting. Uh, so I still think that they, as a team, have some upside to make some noise in the tournament, make it to the second weekend or something like that. Uh, you know, when you have the best player on the court, you, you always have a chance to win, even against teams that might have more overall talent. Uh, and this hasn't really... I think the way Trey's playing right now is not that different than the way he was playing earlier. He's just missing some more shots, and they aren't winning as many games. But honestly, even the games they were winning earlier in the season, it was taking, like you know, 40 plus points on very efficient shooting from Trey to like beat middle of the pack, big 12 teams like TCU and overtime. And so uh, I think their winning early in the season was also like a little bit of a mirage just built on winning close games with sort of unsustainably outrageously good performances. Uh, so this is maybe, you know, five, seven seed in the tournament. Maybe that's just who they are. Yeah, no, I, I think those are, I think those are good points. I have to imagine the constant, ESPN reporting on what Trey Young is wearing to the shoot around is, is getting old for him too. I mean, he's a young guy when this is all said and done. I, I totally agree with you guys. I think the ceiling is still high, but he's getting a lot of probably unfair attention. But at the same time, he played so well early in the year. Uh, he, he probably deserves that attention for, for better or for worse. Uh, do you guys think Oklahoma is going to get through the rest of the season? They've got Kansas, Kansas State, Baylor, and Iowa State with more than one window. That's going to put them if they only win one of those games at a six and 10 conference record, you guys think that they'll be able to turn it around. I mean, Oklahoma at one point was ranked number three this year. I think they'll win two or three of those last four. What was that? I think they'll win two or three of those last four and a couple in the big 12 tournament. I think they will be, you know, like somewhere between a four and a seven seed. Okay. That's fair. So something else I'd like to get your guys' opinion on besides just Oklahoma and Trey young, because that's always a lot of fun to talk about. Uh, from my perspective, at least, there, li- there looks like there is a lot of conference domination, unlike we've seen in the past couple of years, where the mid-majors are not making too much of a, of a push. The Pac-12 seems pretty non-existent now, especially with UCLA as a solid bubble team. You've got USC, Arizona State, maybe Washington out there, but it looks like it's kind of an ACC and SEC basketball year, where the ACC right now is projected for nine teams in the tournament, SEC eight teams in the tournament. Are we starting to see a realignment kind of back to the power five that that used to be what made March Madness so much fun where all the Cinderella stories, is that something that's changing this year? And is it good for the sport if it's changing in this direction? Well, it's sort of the power like seven now, right? Cause big East American, it's kind of not totally clear which five would be the power five. Cause there's like 
the five from college football plus the Big East, and then the Americans kind of a borderline Power Five school. So yeah, yeah, that's fair. Sorry, what what was the question again? Just so are, like, are is you it guys... bad that the Power Five's consolidating a little bit? Not even consolidating, just the sheer dominance right now out of the ACC and SEC versus really everyone else. If you're looking, uh, I know we we rattled off the top ten earlier, but name three consistent programs outside of the ACC or SEC right now who are really week in week out performing. That this this tournament could have 17 of its 68 teams out of just two conferences. Yeah, I mean, I uh, don't really take super seriously these conference reputations in the sense that, like, there's only a handful of non-conference games early in the year, and then not even sure how highly correlated those results are versus just, like, the games people are watching, the teams people are talking about. So, uh, you know, I've watched a lot of Big 12 games this season, and it seems to me that the Big 12 is, like, unbelievably historically deep. Uh with what that Oklahoma team was doing in the non-conference to then be like in sixth, seventh place under 500 in the big 12 and the number of tough teams there. So uh, I guess what I would say is I wouldn't really buy the hype. Uh, It may be the case that all those teams get into the tournament, but I would want to see a couple conferences dominate the actual tournament before I would uh, buy that. They're actually so much better than the other conferences. Hmm. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's definitely interesting. I think that the media definitely plays into it, kind of like you're saying. I'm really enjoying watching the Oklahomas, the West Virginias. Uh, game day at Kansas yesterday uh, was was a lot of fun to watch as well. Um, I think you make some good points, but it'll be interesting. Conference affiliation shouldn't have anything to do with any kind of a selection Sunday. The committee tells us it doesn't, but at the end of the day, you have to imagine that conference affiliation does play into it just because of the head-to-head matchups it sets up. So it. It could be interesting. I don't see anything really changing, but it, it could be an interesting year with, like we mentioned, the Blue Bloods being down and out a little more, the conferences stepping up in, in different ways. I, I'm interested for what's going to happen here in three well, weeks. Well, we just, we just mentioned this, but didn't go into it in detail, the Hoops Corruption case. So Yeah, that's, that's what I was going to bring up. Oh, okay, good. Yeah, I was hoping we could at least take, it, take 60 seconds and talk about this because this could, this could really impact the tournament in a big way. So the, the FBI arrested 10 folks in a federal probe uh, five months ago. Uh, uh, basically, uh, corruption, allegations of uh, corruption, uh, under table payments, et cetera, for recruiting. And there's more stuff coming. There's been, I think, 4,000 wiretaps, according to this Yahoo Sports report uh, that I was looking at earlier. Um, and sources say that this could implicate like Hall of Fame coaches. I mean, uh, it, d- it didn't name them, but potentially eight of the top 16 programs. And if those those charges come out prior to selection weekend, that could really mean big things for those teams too, as far as what the NCAA would have to do for leveling sanctions against those teams and whether or not they could participate in the tournament. So in this Yahoo Sports article that broke the news, there was one source at the end who said uh, that you might see Tennessee Chattanooga as a number two seed probably somewhat facetiously, but this really could have a big impact on the field. And this could really have trickle-down effects, too, for the rest of NCAA athletics, because uh, anybody who knows anything, I think, about college sports knows that this problem is not unique to college basketball. And so, I don't know, it'll be really interesting to see as this develops what impact this has on basketball and on other sports, especially football. What do you guys think? So, I'm... Man, I'm, I'm torn on this one. On the one hand... The impression I get from this Yahoo Sports article that uh, Pete Thamel wrote was that the NCAA wants to do something very, very quickly 
uh, and kind of get out in front of this. And I've seen a lot of interviews with a, a lot of especially SEC and ACC coaches, again, uh, talking about how they all feel comfortable sleeping at night. They don't think they're coming for them. But Zach, like you said, if it's eight of the top 16 now, that tells me Coach K could be in trouble. It tells me Calipari's in trouble. It tells me Bruce Pearl's in trouble. Like all, all these big NCAA coaches. I just don't know if the NCAA honestly has the stones to go after all of these high-profile teams before the tournament. I mean, they certainly don't want to vacate wins, but do they really want to knock eight teams out of the tournament who are going to be legitimate championship contenders uh, with this investigation because they don't want to have to vacate wins? I I don't think they're willing to to make that move. But like you said, this, this is going to trickle across all of NCAA athletics, and I think it's going to get really, really interesting here between this and the Larry Nassar case up at Michigan State that the NCAA is going to have to figure out how to actually go after their programs with something besides the death penalty here very, very soon, because just punishing programs five years after and vacating wins is clearly not working to deter people from from breaking the rules, uh, especially with this corruption case. I mean, the FBI is involved in this. This isn't just uh, a pay-for-play at USC in the 80s. This is This is very, very legitimate, but I don't think the NCAA is going to get out in front of this like the, the Yahoo Sports article is kind of alluding to. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, uh, whether or not the NCAA actually takes action before the selection weekend or before the tournament remains to be seen. So I, I guess we'll see. I mean, I think, yeah, if it is eight of the top 16, it'd be, I, I guess I do have trouble seeing a world in which the NCAA takes swift, decisive action in that way. I think more likely they sort of defer action until all the facts come out, until the cases go to trial, perhaps. I don't know, but maybe maybe not in time for the tournament. Well, and, and I would defer to, to you two a lot more on this because you guys are a lot smarter on this kind of stuff than I am. But that seems like a, a real slippery slope in terms of legality as well. If we start knocking teams out, obviously they'll have the evidence, but ugh, it seems like that is a, a good way to find yourself in a lot of trouble by taking teams out of the tournament before you've officially levied anything on them. I think it makes a lot of sense if, uh, you know, 30, 40 teams maybe become ineligible and then we can get Stanford in the tournament. That's really how I'm looking at this. <laughs> yeah, of course. So I'm watching the NBA All-Star game right now, hitting the next topic on our list. And yeah. uh, people, people are playing defense. People are like actually playing hard. I think this uh, bumping the uh, reward to the winning team up to $100,000 per player, which I guess is quite a bit of money even for multimillionaires, uh, and you know, just a bit of a commitment from the, the top guys, LeBron, Steph, and the other top players to like actually treat this like a basketball game seems to have worked. I mean, it's like a choppy, ugly game where guys aren't playing super hard, right. but uh, there's more of a balance between defense and offense. And it looks like, looks like actual basketball rather than more of like a layup. Line. Do you guys think the draft should have been televised? Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah I totally agree. agree. Uh, but yeah, I think the All-Star Weekend's on a bit of recovery. Dunk Contest was lame this year, but it's been spectacular in some of the last couple of years. So part of that's just a function of who happens to be in it every year. And the dunkers just weren't really doing that well. Although Larry Nance Jr. imitating his dad was pretty fun. Yeah, that was that was a good one. I liked uh, Victor Oladipu's dunk as well. Uh, but man, there was something about that dunk contest last night that I just could not get excited about. Uh, I'm, I'm watching the game as well. You're right. It's, it's more exciting than they've been in the past. Do you, do you think the NBA has finally figured it out by having the, the, the biggest names in the NBA driving this versus the league driving it? Is, is that kind of the key to success here, you think? Yeah, I mean, I think just like 
some semblance of something that resembles basketball is the key to success. Uh, you know, giving people an incentive to like actually play the game. Uh, but I think, you know, all-star weekends are just tough to, all-star games are just tough to make fun. Like all three of the major sports that I follow have had, had trouble like keeping people's attention. And, uh, and a lot, you know, the NBA hasn't been, I think it's been as good as it can be in a lot of ways. Of course, the game itself has sort of fallen apart the last few years, but maybe this is the beginning of it being revitalized. So my only concern with the, the way the NBA is doing it right now is it seems like it is still, I watch the All-Star game if I have a vested interest in like one or two of the players, right? And and they're my guy. I love watching them. They're in the All-Star game. The, the thing I like about the major league all-star game is those guys are only playing for an inning or two. It seems like it's a lot more fun to get behind your league. I like how they moved it to, to LeBron and, uh, and, and Curry picking their teams and getting ready for that. But it still seems it's like, it's almost more of a bromance than it is a, a celebration of the league. It seems like almost like high school gym class where dudes are picking their best friends. And maybe it's because I always got picked last, <laughs> but, but it's just one of those things where I'm, I'm wondering how how is the NBA going to continue to to create interest in the the sport and the game instead of just creating interest in celebrity status for a couple of their players? Or is that what the NBA is trying to do? Is trying to create that celebrity status and and have those guys be the focal point of the league and just kind of hope the the game follows suit. I mean, I think that the point of the All Star Game is to watch the best players. So I think that especially for this particular event should be the point. I actually would go kind of the opposite way and think that. the more we can eliminate the importance of conferences, the better. So right now we don't have the conferences play each other, but we still had 12 all-stars selected from each conference. I think that's like absurd. If you're just going to have a draft anyway, just pick the 24 best players and, you know, a couple more guys from the West, a couple fewer guys from the East probably get in. And uh, Adam Silver said uh, that they're, you know, hinted again last night that they're thinking about moving that way for the playoffs, seating one through 16 and, eliminating conferences basically altogether. Yeah, I saw that. Uh so I I sort of think that conferences are, you know, an arbitrary geographic marker that uh if air travel is getting comfortable enough, we should just get rid of them. But that's probably a longer conversation for another podcast. Yeah, that's uh yeah, I I definitely want to talk about that playoff format here in the coming weeks. What I would like to hear from you guys on real quick is just while we've we dropped his name with LeBron, so we got to talk about it real quick because it's happening in our, our two-week hiatus. So on 8 Feb, we saw those blockbuster trades out of Cleveland where we, we basically saw anyone with a pulse, it seemed like, get, get traded out of Cleveland except for LeBron. D-Wade going back to Miami, IT going out to, to play for the Lakers, uh, and we saw a lot of young guys who didn't have a lot of, of name recognition find their way into Cleveland, and all of a sudden, Cleveland was on fire, went in three straight, scoring a lot of points. LeBron looked rejuvenated on the court. Uh, so, so because LeBron is, in my opinion, the most fun guy in the NBA to talk about, whether you love him or you hate him, was this actually a step in the right direction for Cleveland? Are they back to being an actual contender? Uh, or was this just kind of a flash in the pan, breath of fresh air in Cleveland? Things will return to how they were here soon, uh, and it will really be no impact to the, the Eastern Conference race. I think this was like a genius, complete turnaround of the Cavs season. And I actually said that even before they blew out the Celtics on national TV in their first game with their new players. But I think it was addition by addition and addition by subtraction. I think that uh, Clarkson, Hill, Hood, and Larry Nance are just the perfect LeBron teammates because they're all guys with like 
basically no ego who know their role players. Three of them can shoot. Nance can finish in the paint. Uh, they all, you know, they're not all great defensive players, but they're all guys who like try and play hard. And most importantly, they don't need the basketball. Like, I think the number one thing about LeBron is that he needs to have the ball to be effective. And so you need guys around him who don't need the ball to be effective. Uh, so I think these are like perfect LeBron role players, uh, Cavs role players. And then I think even more importantly, just... I think you can make a strong case that Derrick Rose, Dwayne Wade, and Isaiah Thomas in his current health status were the three worst players in the NBA at the moment. Uh, so I think if they just cut D. Rose, D. Wade, and uh, you know until he gets back to health, Isaiah, uh, that would have and replaced them with like D. Leaguers. That would have made their team a lot better. So I think uh, you know not just from the perspective of those guys can't guard anybody in the case of Wade doesn't try and Rose don't try to guard anybody but also uh there's a lot of reports that Wade was bringing down the locker room and you know someone leaked that Ty Lue demanded that Wade be traded uh so it's like an ESPN report demanded that Wade be traded and said I can't fix my locker room or my team without getting rid of Wade so uh yeah so I think it's brilliant I think for me, before these trades, I had like a 15% probability in my head of the Cavs making the finals, and now I think it's like 65. Wow, it's pretty high. Nice. The only thing I'll add, I agree with your analysis almost in its entirety. The only thing I'll add, um, one on the Dwayne Wade point, yeah, I think this was, they just wanted to get Dwayne Wade out of there. I don't know if it was just, you know, trying to be nice to him because he's always said he wanted to retire in Miami, or if there was something more toxic that he was doing in the locker room but they only received the heavily protected second round pick from miami and that will likely uh really end up as nothing because it's so heavily protected the other thing i'll say i think this will really hinge on like how this trade is viewed in retrospect will hinge on how isaiah thomas does in los angeles because isaiah thomas looks nothing like the player they thought he was when they traded him for kyrie irving um and if he never returns to form, this is going to look like a really bad trade for the Lakers and a great one for the Cavs. If IT can find his form again in Los Angeles, it's going to look a little bit worse for Cleveland, and people are going to wonder um, why he couldn't get it there. I mean, maybe it's just health issues, whatever. But if IT comes back as the same IT he was in Boston, it's going to be, I think, a win for Los Angeles. Um, but the problem is that he's only got like two months to get there. Like, if IT comes back as the same IT next year, that does nothing for the Cavs because, like, they need to win now before LeBron's a free agent. So I think like in, in, it's definitely true that IT's got more upside than the other two guys, Clarkson and Nance. But uh, I think an expectation based on how completely unplayably awful he's been since he came back yeah. from the injury. Yeah. It, like the expected value of IT for the rest of the year is definitely low. I mean, it's, it's probably close to zero. I mean, he's basically part. replacement exactly. level. Uh, the way he's playing now so yeah i mean I, th I think you're right like given given the Cavs' imperative to win now this is a short-term win for them whether or not it's a long-term win will depend on yeah i think the two things one what does lebron do after the season and two how does it shape up next season in los angeles if he's there but also it's a free agent at the end of the season right that's so. why i said if he's there yeah because i mean they could yeah. extend him but he's going to be a free agent so uh also, 65 was just something I said off the top of my head. Percent of them winning the East. That's probably high. I'd maybe like still mid 40s or 50. But yeah, like, I, would, I would put it probably just under 50, but I, I think this definitely boosts their chances. I'm with you. I did not see them having any chance to, to win the East before these trades. And now I think it's like the, the most likely of the teams. Yeah, agree. Um, 
So, so speaking of LeBron, should we hit our, our next topic on our bullet pointed list, which is yeah, let's do it, man. Uh, so I actually, I guess I never actually watched the original video, but I guess LeBron and Kevin Durant uh made some comments about uh recent news events and the president in a video uh on the internet and then fox host laura ingraham am i pronouncing her name right that's ingram Ingram, i think ingram uh yeah had like went off on a rant about how basically if you don't go to college you're not qualified to speak about politics and it ended with something like shut up and dribble uh which you know it's pretty ironic considering that her past guests have included people like Ted Nugent, whose uh, main qualification to talk about politics is that they've like said really racist things about the past president. So uh, it was, you know, uh, it was what it was. And then LeBron responded both on social media and in some comments uh, about how he thinks it's important to speak up about things happening in society. Uh, another thing that was pretty interesting is that the NBA sort of unequivocally took LeBron's side on this. So, uh, oh, I had these quotes up. Oh, here it is. Uh, the, uh, executive director of the NBA Players Association, Michelle Roberts said, uh, Laura Ingram has now introduced herself as intolerant and narrow-minded to 57 people, 57 million people around the world which is LeBron and KD's Twitter followers. Uh, we stand with our players. And then Adam Silver, the commissioner, said uh, he's, quote, incredibly proud of our players for using the platform they have, and he's proud of comments by LeBron James and Kevin Durant regarding this flap with the Fox News host. Uh, so, you know, this is just, to me, like, so first of all, I'm completely on LeBron and KD's side. I think this is like a moment in history when we should all like worry about things that are happening in America before we worry about our sort of professional obligations to not offend people or not, you know, be seen as quote unquote too political for our non-political jobs. Uh, so I'm proud of them for doing that. Uh, not only LeBron and KD, but also Steve Kerr, Greg Popovich, Steph Curry, dozens of other players around the league. I also just think it's, it's fascinating how, you know, to contrast Adam Silver with some of the NFL owners or Roger Goodell's uh, response to some of the stuff that happened in the NFL. Um, I think basically what we're seeing here on the one hand is like brave people who care about their country and that's cool. But uh, as an economist, uh, I think also what's going on here is that the NBA is able to pick a side, whereas the NFL isn't because like the overwhelming majority of NBA fans are like, urban city dwelling Democrat voters and the NFL, I think has a much more divided and red leaning fan population. Uh, so I think part of what's going on here is that, you know, there, the NBA as a league is able to take this stand without costing itself millions of dollars like the NFL would. What do you guys think? Yeah, I think that analysis is spot on. And I mean, it's, I think there is an element of, uh, I guess for lack of a better phrase, virtue signaling here with the uh, the NBA like knows its fan base and knows its demographic. It also seems to me fairly obvious that we should support players and all people, you know, expressing their political opinions regardless of what their occupation is. And so it's uh, it's pretty ridiculous that a professional news host can criticize a professional athlete 
for for talking about the same thing that the news host would talk about. So I'm definitely on uh, KD and LeBron's side in this as well. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I yeah, I, I don't have much more to add to this. I definitely commend Silver for ex- for supporting his players' right to self expression. I think that. Um, you're right that Goodell obviously did not support his players, at least in as strong of words as that. Um, and so I think this is kind of a case study in how to how to handle a crisis, too, because the NBA was swift and decisive in its response, official response to, through the commissioner, whereas the uh, NFL, through its, you know, kneel for the anthem controversy, it just, it just dragged on and on and on um, and dominated storylines for at least the first half of the season. So. It'll be interesting to see if the NBA becomes the next big target in sports like the NFL was for the entire year because of this kneeling through through anthem thing. So it's it's interesting that the league was willing to to take that stand like you guys were saying. But yeah, uh I I have been really surprised, but pleasantly surprised, I think, with what all the, the big names in the NBA have done this year. I think you guys already hit all the nails on the head, but I think things like Pops coming out to say that this country still has a racism problem, especially because he's an old white man is what most people look at that and, and think of. I, I think it says a lot. I love Steve Kerr coming out and talking about about different issues. I'd vote for Steve Kerr for president today if I could. Uh, but I, I think you guys hit the nail on the head. We need our athletes to continue talking. And that's not because they necessarily have more of a right to talk than anyone else because of their stature. But it's the fact that we now have so many social media platforms and so many different outlets for them to communicate. And and let's be honest, America is listening to LeBron more than they're listening to most people on Capitol Hill these days. So regardless of your politics, you have to accept that this is where America is looking because of Twitter, because of Instagram, because of Facebook. So I, I think we we owe it to our athletes to make sure that we're we're, we're making sure that they can get the, the best information out there and they can effectively advocate for whatever they feel like they need to advocate for. But I I think it's good. I think people who are well-spoken, like Pops, Steve Kerr, LeBron, Steph, I think we need these guys to keep talking. And I hope this extends past just basketball. I hope other sports can get out in front of it. Um, I I don't think the NFL is going to be in that business, but it'll be interesting to see if Major League Baseball uh, or the NHL uh, have anyone get outspoken as well. But before we we get too hot and heavy on politics this is still our our grab bag week uh and the olympics are going on right now i i know a lot of guys are watching the nba all-star game tonight but there is some good olympic competition coming up here in the next couple days however as of sunday night team usa is sitting at number six in the medal count with only 10 total medals about 15 behind the leader of norway uh and a lot of significant disappointments i'd say coming out of the first week of the olympics whether it's lindsey vaughn not making the podium we had a couple big falls in figure skating uh just overall it seems like outside of snowboarding team usa really hasn't shown up in south korea this year compared to what we expected so my question for you guys uh the olympics here in 2018 is this a disappointing olympic season or is this exactly what we should have expected and didn't and it's still been a great great event for team usa well you know anecdotally this is not based on any empirical evidence but anecdotally i am just less excited about this olympics than i have been in the past and watching it i just don't have the same excitement level as i have previously yeah like my the first winter olympics i watched was in 2002 and you know nobody in my family really wanted to watch the olympics so i remember being in my basement watching it on my family's TV 
and like just cheering along with all the losers and uh, skeleton athletes and speed skaters, especially short track and even curling. I got into curling, uh, which is saying something. And like I've I've watched a fair amount of the events this year, and I don't know, it just doesn't have the same level of excitement for me. I don't know if it's like the NBC broadcasts that just lack juice or what, but you know maybe I'm just older and more tired of it. But uh, I was really looking forward to it, and I found it to be less exciting than I hoped. And then I saw on five thirty eight today, I saw an analysis by Neil Payne, who's one of their um, one of their best writers, and he was basically saying that the U.S. so far is underperforming its expectations, which makes sense because it seems like most of the podiums are devoid of any American representation, uh, and. Uh, we we can make it up in the later half of the games because these events coming up are the ones that we excel in, like bobsledding. Um, but so far, we've underperformed, and, and we're not going to win the games. That's certainly not going to happen. Um, but I don't know. There, there have been glimmers of drama along the way. I don't know if either of you guys saw um, the Czech Republic's Esther Ledeska uh, come away with gold in the, um, was it the Super G? I think it was Super G. Um but she, the uh, NBC broadcast basically said that the Austrian Anna Weith was going to come away with the gold. And so they cut away from the rest of the competition because they basically said, we've, we've run the numbers and there's no way that anybody else on this, uh, on this list can catch her. So Anna Weith's going to get gold. And then I went to bed and the next morning woke up and saw that Ledesca, uh, which is spelled, spelled strangely, L-E-D-E-C-K-A, uh, came away with gold by after beating Anna Vyth by 0.01 seconds in a totally surprising come from behind finish. So that was pretty exciting to see. I think that's been the best single storyline that I've seen. I have to confess, I have not watched very much Olympics at all. My wife's been watching a lot, but I'm just kind of a basketball guy. It's basketball season. Totally fair. Yeah, I. Boy, I saw how much the ratings were down for these Olympics as well. It, it seems like America is is right with all three of us in that it's it's not really been compelling at all this year. I mean, NHL didn't release any hockey players to go play for Team USA, so Team USA looks awful this year. They are blowing big leads in one game and then getting outscored by the Olympic athletes from Russia, not the Russian yes, athletes. Yes, very of important distinction. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but but losing to them. Uh, did you guys happen to see, this is a sidebar kind of outside of my point, but uh, the Olympic athletes from Russia's delegation announced today that they had a curler uh, who was found guilty of doping earlier today, so he's been disqualified. Why yeah, on that's... earth do you need to be doping in curling? <laughs> that's amazing. That's, uh, that's, like, but... that's like doping to do dart throwing or something. I mean, it's after everything after Sochi, really? You care so little about what the rest of the world thinks of you, Russia, that you are willing to let curlers dope? Come on. But uh, I digress. Yeah, it's uh, it's been a pretty disappointing Winter Olympics so far, I'd say. I, I think it kind of speaks to the bigger problem that Team USA has in both winter and summer, though, that I think our uh, Olympic training facilities are down. Uh, I think we're starting to put a lot of pressure on a lot of our older athletes that we expect, whether it's in the summer, the Michael Phelps to come out of retirement or in the winter the Ted Ligeties and Lindsey Vaughn's to continue to dominate. We, we, we don't seem to be doing a good job of propping up our young guys right now, especially here in these winter Olympics that we've got some exciting young guys uh, who are just not ready. And so it's probably just a down year. So it's not the end of the world. Uh, but I think team USA who had a lot of problems here over the last couple of years in funding and training uh, is, is really hurting, but let's, let's put a positive spit on it. Anything you guys are looking forward to here in the next week, in South Korea to, to watch on TV? 
You know, uh, there's not anything I'm like I need to see or I'm dying to see, but I, I, I still I'm a bobsledding fan after that 2002 inaugural Olympics experience. So I'm excited for the bobsledding, yeah. especially four man. And and I use yeah. man in the like gender neutral term. I like watching the women's and men's teams, but four four man bobsled is a pretty exciting event. Yeah, it's all it's all good stuff. Well, you you kind of took the thunder out of mine, but I'm gonna make it a little more interesting. The Nigerian female bobsled team is what I'm excited to see. Anyone yes, who's a fan yes. of the 1988 Cool Runnings movie, of course, uh, kind of inspired these Nigerian female bobsled teams. They they trained a lot in America, but they're all first generations America still racing for Nigeria. But a real feel good story. The the more I read about it, so I'm I'm excited to watch those guys. I hope it turns out a little better than it did for the Jamaican bobsled team in the 80s, but. I hope it's it's something good to look forward to. But either way, it's it's a full week of sports, so I, I can't really be complaining too much. So before we sign off, I got three questions for you guys in terms of a hot take. I'm just looking for a true or false on this one before we, we cut loose for the week. You guys willing to play along? Yeah. Sure. And I have one other random story that's like 10 seconds long that's just hilarious, which is that Mets general manager Sandy yes. Alderson just said he thinks Tim Tebow is going to play I saw in that the as major well. leagues when Tim that Tebow was, that was, my first was a thirty-year-old who hit two. <laughs> he hit two thirty at single A as a thirty-year-old last season. That is not the profile of a major. So league is this future. a question, Pete? Mm-hmm. Okay. True, true or false? He will play in the majors. Yeah, that that was my question. I think Ishan, I can put you down for a false. Is that what I'm picking up there? Uh I'm actually going to say true because I think the Mets are going to be out of the race the next couple of years. And I think that they're going to want to, to put some butts in seats in September and they're going to bring them up for 15 at, pinch hit at bats and a couple outfield appearances. Uh, so I'm going to say true in the very shallow sense, but false in any real sense. There's no way Tim Tebow starts a non-September Major League Baseball game ever. <laughs> Love it. Zach, over to you. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I was going to go true as well because it's not about performance and winning games here. It's about butts and seats, like Ishan was saying. So I think the Mets brought Tebow on as a, as a publicity stunt in the first place. And if he plays in the majors at all, and I think he probably will, it will be because it's a publicity stunt. They want to get, they want to sell tickets. So yeah, a September call up, he'll do, I would say even beyond the pinch hits, they'll start him in, in left field for a game or two. And maybe some pinch hit at bats beyond that, but I, th- I think it will happen. I mean, especially we have the GM saying that this is a—I think his word was a modest expectation at this point that Tebow will be a major leaguer. So I'm going to go with true. What do you think, Pete? Yeah, uh, I agree with both of you guys completely on this September call up. I mean, we look at what happened with Michael Jordan with the White Sox. It was a great publicity stunt. Uh, it, it didn't necessarily work out in terms of wins and losses, but at the end of the day, you're trying to create some excitement. So I, I totally agree with you guys there. So all three of us for true. Okay, that's that's going to burn us at one point on those freezing cold takes, I'm sure. But uh, let's stick with baseball for another true-false. Uh, so on Friday, the Padres signed Eric Hosmer to an eight-year deal uh, to play in San Diego here. True or false, that was a good move for the Padres. I'm just going to say false. Uh, I haven't really thought about it that deeply, but uh, was it eight years, 100 and how many million? 60-something? Uh, yeah, 160-something sounds right. He can opt out after the fifth year. Uh, what is the case for Eric Hosmer being, like, really good? Uh, I guess he hit 318, 385 on-base percentage, 500 yeah. slugging yeah. percentage last year. Yeah, he year, had a good year like, last year. 
he, he was that's like he, a lot better than his career numbers yeah he and jd martinez are basically like the biggest unsigned sluggers going into this month his ops was like right around or under 800 the few years before that is he yeah. like a superstar on defense what am i missing like i don't even think of eric Hosmer as like a top five top seven first baseman yeah i mean he's not it's just that he's a uh he's a you know top free agent in a free agent class and uh he was unsigned so like th- these guys are are and he's i think he's a scott boris client but these guys are demanding more money and able to demand more money because other guys who are better you know like your freddie freeman's your joey vados your paul goldschmidt's are locked down and so if you need a like a slugging first baseman you know maybe hosmer's your guy i mean this was the phillies dilemma too when they got carlos santana from the cleveland on what was also a pretty expensive contract earlier this offseason like if you're gonna if you're gonna pay for first base slugging talent you're gonna pay pretty mightily because uh the really good guys are already locked down so his baseball reference page to answer my own question for a second ago says he had negative d war which is defensive wins above replacement for every single years of year of his career so it can't be that it was not the offensive stats uh you know that's a little weird this idea that it because the whole point this offseason with everyone being unsigned till february has been that uh guys are you know, having to take bargain deals. And I forgot which players, but I thought the story out there was, you know, Darvish got like 40 million less than his projections over the length of his contract. So I, why would you overpay for someone right now when everyone is about to be forced to accept a bargain? I don't know. It's just weird. Yeah. So I think it, the, the context is important here because I would say this actually is a, like an, a mediocre too good move for the Padres it's not great it's but I also don't think it's bad like the Padres have a lot of cash on hand because they don't have a lot of guys tied down in long-term deals and so as far as like organizational viability they're looking pretty darn good and they have a really deep farm system and they've been able to do things with that so they have this up-and-coming shortstop named Fernando Tatis who I think um, could be like a like a Manny Machado type player eventually. Oh, the White Sox traded him. Yeah. don't remind me. Yeah, yeah, he's gone. <laughs> so I don't know. I think the, the Padres <laughs> the Padres are are young and healthy, and I think they just like had an opportunity to be the big buyer at the table, which is something that Padres rarely have. Um, so I, I don't know. I I would give them like a maybe a B minus on this trade. I know that doesn't that doesn't meet your true false criteria, Pete, but I'm just gonna go with a letter grade. No, that's that's fair. That would have been a better question. <laughs> Uh, you know what? I, I think that the deal is too long. I'm sure that was Eric Hosmer's, uh, if he's working for Scott Boris, especially going for that eight year deal. I think the deal is too long, but overall this, this guy's only 28. I think he was one of the faces of the Royals for so long, especially when the Royals were really competitive and winning world series titles back in 2015. I, I think it's as much, uh, to get some locker room presence as it is anything else, is to get a consistent bat with a okay glove in the field. Uh, I I think the Padres right now are really trying to find their identity, and I see this as a move, honestly, in the right direction to find that identity, but I don't like how much it was and how long that deal was. So uh, if, if I had to say true or false, I would say true just because I think it'll it'll help that team overall, even though it's probably not going to increase their wins and losses here in the next year. Yeah. Uh, last question. We'll pull it back to baseball just because the all-star game's on right now. So LeVar Ball, everyone's favorite, you mean basketball? went on record this week, yes, to say that uh, 
Lonzo Ball would not stay in Los Angeles unless his two younger brothers could also be signed by the Lakers. <laughs> yeah, I saw that. I can't imagine what Magic Johnson's reaction was when he heard that, but true or false, Lonzo Ball will be on the Lakers in three years. No, uh, yeah, definitely false. He is. Uh, he's going to be out of there, I think. Who cares? He's not even one of the top 100 players in the NBA. <laughs> Be good before I care where you're going to be in three years. <laughs> well, so, uh, this is the All-Star I mean, game. We're talking about players that are good. Though. We'll talk about Lonzo when he's a free agent in 2021. Yeah, I mean, I think that instantly, though, Ishan, that's why he won't be on the Lakers. I don't think he's providing the the value that a first-round you know, pick should – well, like an early first-round pick should be providing. So I, I think he'll be gone. And I think the drama that LeVar Ball is creating is enough for Magic Johnson to move on. Yeah. Yeah. Totally fair. I just my uh, point is just my response to all the Lavar noise is to just never click and never think about it. Yep, that's that's my approach as well. Well, now I owe Lavar Ball five dollars for saying big baller brand on the podcast. So <laughs> I really walked myself into that. This one, is his I? strategy. He this is like it, it, his plan is not crazy. This is what he this is what he does. There's a coherence to what he's doing. Yeah, I agree. I agree. We're well, talking about him. Else we, on your minds, he's winning. This is how Lavar Ball wins. We talk about him on our podcast. Let's talk. <laughs> we'll get back to Lane Kiffin. That's, That's right. Yeah. We can there all we go. to talk about. Yeah. The Kiffin train. <laughs> Is that what it was oh. called? The Kiffin train? Yeah. The hype yeah. train. The hype train. Yeah, of course. Yeah. All right. Get on the hype train. Yeah. Well, this is a longer episode right, than we good intended. Good talk, guys. <laughs> yeah. Anything else on your minds, guys? No, that's it. Who's going to cool. win the All-Star game? 78-76, Team LeBron at halftime. Yeah, uh, Ishan, I thought, I thought you halftime. said they were playing defense, and now I see 78-76. They've scored 100 and uh, public math here, but 154 points by halftime. I was grading on a curve relative to past All-Star oh, games. Oh, okay, okay. There's a lot yeah, more enough, defense. Enough. <laughs> it, it, the, the score last year was like 190-something to 180-something. So Yeah, that's true. Like, yeah, almost breaking 200. Well, I do want to put in a plug for our next few episodes here. We're going to be doing... Uh, divisional previews for major league baseball so um you know come back to our listeners come back for those episodes should be good i'm really excited about baseball season the the dark ages are almost over dawn is almost upon us well with that we will uh we'll call it a week fellas it's been a pleasure as always to everyone out there listening you can catch zach at, at zach crippen Ishan is at Ishan underscore Nath. I'm at Pete underscore Laclede. Please give us a, a, a follow on Twitter or uh, write us a review on iTunes. We do read those. And uh, until next week when we can start talking baseball again, fellas, it's been a pleasure. I'll see you then. <laughs>